Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyTShirt.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you're good. If you're not watching on YouTube, you're going to miss out today. We've got a a good bunch of guys on with us. Joey Powell and I sort of came up with this idea several weeks ago. We talked to Denoris Searcy, member of the 2010 Carolina football team, about a bunch of different stuff. And then at the end of it, we said, I wonder how many guys would be interested in joining a podcast to sort of get back together for a 10-year anniversary. And here we are. Joey, I'm going to let you run with it, man. Tell them, tell them who we got. Yeah, so you guys can blame DeNorris for this. He, he basically signed all of you guys up. And then, then Matt Merletti, being charitable and cautious, decided, all right, well, I'll just be the ringleader, and, and here you are. But we're thankful to have all you guys here, man. This is, uh, this is exciting. And, and like Tommy said, we, we wanted to kind of take a look back at uh, – wanted to take a look back at 2010 just as a whole year. And you guys dealt with so much. You were an incredibly talented you know, bunch of players and a good group of human beings. And we just want to kind of get you all back together and, and, you know, get the band back together and let you guys kind of chop it up and allow us to – we'll probably throw you a couple of softball questions. But uh, starting out, why don't we let everybody go around and just, you know, give a sense about where you are and what you're up to right now, uh, just so our listeners and viewers can, can kind of wrap their heads around seeing you guys 10 years later without a helmet on. Tony, you want to start? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, Tony Elzey, uh play fullback and running back. I'm li- currently living in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, got a baby girl and a wife, and I am working construction for the state. Awesome. Sean, you're up, big man. Sean Jerome, I'm currently in Apex, North Carolina. Uh, have a beautiful wife, Shonda, who's doing some uh, real estate. Uh, she's a real estate broker. I uh, have two beautiful kids, London and Camden, and uh, I'm, I'm doing some real estate investing, and, you know, I was doing some stay-at-home dad stuff for a while, so just allowing my wife to really get get her stuff off the ground, which she, she has, uh, so, you know, I'm, that's what I'm doing right now. Good Playing to hear. a lot of golf. <laughs> Good to hear. Coop, what about you? Uh, Jonathan Cooper, uh, played left guard back in 2010, and uh, – I'm living in uh, Tempe, Arizona, and currently just training to see if uh, I'm going to get another couple years of football, and if not, just waiting to kind of see what's next. Awesome. Zach. Yes, sir. Zach Pinalto, uh, tied in from 2007 to 2010, uh, living back home in uh, Springdale, Arkansas, where I was born and raised. Uh, been back about seven or eight years now, married, no kids. My wife's a school teacher here in the, uh, the district. Um, so we're just kind of hanging out and living life. Um, work-wise, I currently I sell into Walmart, who's uh, obviously headquartered uh, 
represent different product lines and sell them into Walmart. All right, solid. And last but not least, the new dad on the block, if he can unmute himself. Yeah, hey, what's up, Joey? Hey, hey guys, how are you all doing? Good, man. All right, what's up, Mike? What's up, big man? Hey, hey, Coop, how you doing, man? Yeah, so uh, Mike Ingersoll uh, played right tackle back in 2010, and uh, IC viewers know me, subscribers know me. I've been doing some stuff with Inside Carolina since uh, – I think about 2016 now, so we're going on four or five years. So, and I'm just living in Charlotte. I'm a lawyer. Um, for those that don't know, uh, just had a baby girl last Friday, so we had our first Congratulations. kid. Congratulations to the club, yeah. bro. Yeah. <laughs> we we knew Mike like would be able. You look like you're missing some sleep there, Mike. What's going on with that? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Missing some lighting too, apparently. I saw, I saw Mike. We had a, we had a, a Zoom call earlier today, and I texted Mike that he looked rested. I mean, arrested, uh, because he's definitely showing that he's showing the new, the new father look. So here's what we want to do. Thank you guys for giving everybody kind of the check-in as to what you got going on. I'm going to throw out a question, and then I, I want you guys to just feel comfortable talking and, you know, chime in as you f see fit. Uh, if there's some things you feel comfortable speaking about, speak up. If you don't, that's fine, too. Um, but I'll, I'll nudge you if we need to. But I'm just going to throw out the first question to you guys. And, again, this is just the offense tonight. We're going to bring the defense in and have a discussion with them a little bit later. But first off, what did you guys remember – you know, and envision for yourselves as a team going into 2010. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll start with uh, start with Tony again since he was the first guy in today. Um, honestly, going into the year um, with the blow we took, I would have to say resiliency um, because a lot of guys stepped up um, when they didn't think they would have to just in that moment of time. Um, a lot of young guys stepped up. And a lot of other guys, older guys, fulfilled positions that um, they really weren't there at Carolina for. So, I mean, you've had guys switch positions. You've had young guys come up. So, I think our resiliency in that year was something to be um, – to hang our hat on for that season. Let me, uh, let me back it up just a little bit and talk about spring ball. Um, I've – been around Carolina football since I was born. That was 1971. So I've seen some good teams. I've seen some really, really bad teams. Um, but I don't remember more hype going into a season than in 2010. Maybe Max last year, first go around. Uh, but going into the 2010 season. So I've been to a lot of spring Carolina football games and 5,000 people maybe. So we go into that spring season, and there was, what, 30 there, if I remember correctly, at spring game? It was about half the stadium, yeah. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was hot. There was still fans there. It was packed. Never seen anything like it for Carolina football. Sean, your mindset, getting ready for that, going through that spring game, getting ready for the season before what Elsie talked about um, kind of went down later in the summer. Where was the team at? in March, April of 2010? Man, to be honest, I, I really, I remember. <laughs> but, but I, I took a few hits. But, uh, but no, going into, the, going into the, to the season, man, we were, I mean, coming off of 08 and 09, man, we, we had some momentum coming into the season. Um, I definitely felt like we had a, a swag about us that, you know, uh, we hadn't had in past years. Like you said, I mean, the, the hype and the, uh, you know, talk about Carolina football was different that year. So 
you know, we kind of, I feel like we kind of fed into that. Like there was no, there was culture, but I think the culture kind of shifted with Butch coming in and, you know, like our, our eyes was on the national championship day one when he came in. So, you know, for us to keep building on that and in 2010 for that 06 class, which was uh, uh, the top top class um, in, in years that, that Carolina had for us to, you know, end the, end our career there um, going into that season uh, on a high note was, you know, priority for, for everyone. Um, so just going into the season, I think, you know, we, we had our, our eyes set high, uh, our goals, our standards set high that year. And, uh, you know, just to have it flip right at the beginning, man, was, you know, heartbreaking for a lot of us. Coop, what's that like? I mean, you're the, you're the young guy here. Um, right. I believe – Anthony was a red shirt senior, if I remember. Everybody's seniors except you, Coop. You, Correct. You hadn't been – you'd been with Butch your entire career. And right. So that culture was already there or starting to build when you're there. You're, you're getting ready for a 2010 season, and, and then the clip comes, as Sean mentioned. <laughs> Denaris talked about it a little bit, um, and, and I thought it was interesting what he had to say. But just as a, as a guy that was – on the team and hype for a season. Where's the mindset there when y'all hear about what's going down? Um, you know, I think it, it was tough because before we even got handed down the ramifications that would be on the field, it's just a talk around school of everybody. Do you do your own schoolwork? Is everything done for you? And, you know, you're the butt of everybody's joke. Carolina football. Nobody does this. You don't do your own work, whatever. So there's that. And then you uh you go into the season with all these top prospects, and then you just get a bomb dropped on you and says that they can't play with you. And uh, I think the most memorable memorable thing for me was the when we did go into LSU. And, you know, I'm scared to death. They have me playing center, which wasn't my natural position yet. And a bunch of mistakes that I made that could have cost us a game. And we still had a great shot to win the game. And I think that speaks to what Tony was talking about with our resiliency. We had people plugged into positions where it wasn't a natural position, but we still showed that we were definitely national contenders. And had we not had that trouble, that we definitely could have possibly went to the national championship. You, you hate what else, but what else? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Zach, I got one for you. Um, I th- we did a we did a throwback podcast a couple of weeks ago with TJ about that LSU game, and one of the things he talked about was just how all of the, what you guys went through with training camp and dealing with the NCAA stuff, and then having to kind of adjust your expectations based on who was on the field. Zach, it seemed like you guys really bonded quickly like it was very much a trial by fire quickly and TJ alluded to just how emotionally gutted you were specifically after that game did that continue through the rest of the season did you feel so tied to those guys did it feel different than it had your previous years with with Carolina football sure I think I think from a a standpoint of, of building to that year right it was Butch's fourth year we had his first recruiting class was seniors we had uber talented people uh you know like lz drone and ingersoll from bunnings classes that were all you know around great players we had the we had all the pieces right we had a first class coach we had talent we had 
first-round NFL draft picks. You name it, we had it, right? Then you go into the season, you think you're going to uh, be just stellar. And, and like everybody here said, I think our eyes were on the national championship or at least a BCS Bowl, right? Win the ACC, you know, one step at a time. But going into that LSU game, I think coming out of it, um, you know, going into halftime down 30-10, there's no way that we should have um, – there's no way we should have caught our way back, right? Um, somehow we did, and then to lose that close and that uh, that gut wrenching of of a of a, a way, I think that has to pull you together, right? You, you when you go through trials and tribulations like that, it only makes your team stronger, whether they're highest of highs or lowest of lows. Um, I don't think when things are just melancholy and going going okay, are you going to really bond um, like you do when you go through some adversity? So. I think we certainly carried it with us the rest of the year. Uh, you know, I think we came back and lost the second game and then rattled off maybe four or five straight wins after that. So uh, hopefully we could have kept everybody going, but it's just tough. Mike, let me chime in. And Tony, I muted you because there was a little bit of feedback coming from your end. So remember that when I come back to you. But Mike, you've talked about it a lot going into this, to that season, you know, with us sitting around drinking beer at a, or whatever or on these podcasts let me ask you a question I'd like I'd really like to know from all of you was there any and I think I know the answer and judging from the results of the season I, I definitely do but was there any resentment going into this season with all the the BS that ended up going down was that a did you guys especially you seniors and Sean I know you got caught up in it um kind of like Denoris did, but was there any resentment from maybe the other three that Watton talked about then? I mean, when you look back as a senior, you've worked your your entire career to get where y'all are, and then this mess happens. I mean, describe that for me, Mike. I mean, we weren't happy about it, um, but you got to understand it. We, we, weren't, we also weren't pointing fingers and weren't blaming people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the NCAA didn't just go after three guys. They went after 17 of us. Um, so it really became a, it, it was, it was a group thing. It was a, you came after one of us, you're coming after all of us kind of thing. We all felt like we had targets on our back, even guys like me that, you know, were relatively under the radar, you know, not marquee players by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we all felt like we were just being targeted. So it, it was, it, it was far less pointing the finger and playing the blame game as it was, why won't they just leave, leave us alone? You know, let this be, we all knew guys at other schools, other extremely prominent programs, uh, you know, in the Southeast and nationally. Um, and we knew what was going on at other schools. And by, you know, I only want to say by comparison, because uh, to be frank, most, if not all the stuff that was going on with us, we thought was, was kosher and it was fine. Um, anything that was happening that was, you know, not up to snuff under NCAA standards, most of us, if not all of us didn't know about, um, or it was, it was such a, a minuscule, minute issue compared to the national landscape that we never thought, you know, what, what you know, why would anybody come after us? Um, really what, what um, the mentality we ended up taking on, I think, was, and, you know, guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong here, but what I saw happen in the locker room was we understood that the NCAA was trying to make an example out of us because we had stockpiled talent at that point for about three straight years. And if you want to count the, you know, you had the, the 06 Bunning class, and then Butch comes in. The 07, 08, 09 recruiting, recruiting classes was solid. Um, they were, they were, I believe they were all top 25 classes. We were loading JUCO talent. 
we had a ton of guys, you know, that we knew how to shot at the NFL. You know, we've talked about it before, but obviously every, every senior on that team that year ended up at least in a camp with, um, with a team. And by the end of 2011, the 2011 season, we still had 13 guys on rosters, which at the time was still a record. So we knew we were loaded with talent, and we felt like the NCAA was coming after Carolina to make an example. Um, you know, the up-and-coming, you know, kind of coming out of nowhere UNC football program, um, they were coming after us to make an example out of some of these other schools um, and sort of what they were doing. So they didn't have to go after the more prominent, you know, SEC teams or Pac-12 teams that we knew were doing some stuff that, that really was, um, you know, under the rules, we knew it just, it wasn't proper. It wasn't right. Um, so we felt like that's what was happening to us. We all had a target on our back. I don't think it was resentment towards the guys, you know, and, and, and you know, you're, you're talking, you know, um, uh, Marvin Gregg and Robert Quinn. And I, I don't think there was any resentment from our end, you know, uh, from us to those guys. And I would say that most of us are, are likely still friendly with those dudes. If you, um, you know, if you see them on the street or you talk to them, I know Coop sees a few of those guys around the league still. I mean, it's, there's no, uh, there, there's no ill will from my end. And I would say that that's probably the universal sentiment from the locker room. See, that's, for you. Uh, hold on, Joey. I'm sorry. I told you to ask a question. Then I'll jump <laughs> again. Um, and see, that's what the difference is in the fan base. Um, Cause the, the fan base was pissed at those guys. It, 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 it eventually revolved or turned into being mad at the NCAA. And we all know what everybody thinks of the NCAA, but the fan base was upset with those guys. I don't like calling guys out. It is what it is. I mean, you know, I can't blame folks for making a better way for themselves at all. I mean, I mean here's, here's the reality of the situation. So John Shoup and I talked about this a few months ago um, on the phone. We were talking about some, some, some student athlete likeness legislation um, that North Carolina was trying to have pushed through at the time. And all this, obviously the 2010 stuff came up. The reality for a lot of those guys was, and for any of you that did any NCAA interviews, um, you know, with any of the compliance officers or the NCAA legal counsel that came in and, and interviewed guys, please speak up and, and, and tell everybody kind of what it was like. Um, I'm sure a few of the defensive players would be able to talk about that. But these guys walked in there with no legal representation. Um, they, they walked in with no uh, re really getting kind of blindsided. They had no script or no understanding of what was going to be asked of them. They were told by our compliance people and they were told by, um, by the NCAA personnel that were on hand, just come on in. We just want to ask a few questions. You know, we just want to talk to you and we'll let you go on your way. And when they walked in, what it turned into was really more of a deposition. It was like a legal proceeding. And they had no representation. They had no idea what to do, what to say. And you can't blame 19, 20-year-old kids for referring to self-preservation and maybe not being 100% truthful about something because they don't know what's going on. They see their career hanging in the balance. So for the fans yeah. that were mad at guys like Rob, Marvin, Greg, um, you know, you have to understand the circumstances. And that isn't something that's really talked about, kind of what that – what that environment was really like for them when they got called into those meeting rooms to have those conversations with the NCAA. They were yeah. sacrificed. They do. I mean, you, you, you bring in people that, you know, all suited and booted. We're, you know, kind of intimidated. Like, you know, who, who these folks, like we, we don't know the extent of what's going on uh, with, you know, we just know we can't play. We didn't know like why we didn't know, you know, we knew it was something about a, a class and then, uh, you know, somebody receiving money and all this stuff, but they didn't even tell us the reason why 
we couldn't play during the time that they were doing the interviews. So like Mike said, they came in and it was like, like you said, it was like a deposition and we were, you know, talking or whatever. And, uh, you know, my parents ended up getting me a lawyer. That's, and then after I got my lawyer, I was released that next week. And then, you know, when I, um, and I'm like, shoot, I should have done this before. But of course, like I said, we're 18, 19 years old, not knowing any better. Like I've never been to court. I don't know anything about it. And, and our compliance office failed you, right? Like no, no one- Right, and that's, 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 that's the thing. They should have- No one said you need a lawyer. And, and our compliance folks were sitting in the room with you. Right, right. Right, and why, why didn't they have your back? Why didn't, why didn't the school have your back? Correct. Yeah, not that we're going to talk about the season, but I just want to give the fans kind of a picture of what that environment was like for you guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you guys had four or six compliance officers, maybe, and you got a school like, well, we'll say an SEC school that has 10, 20, 30 compliance officers that look after the players. And, and that, that's what I wanted people to know by, by talking about this a little bit. I wanted to see, A, people that weren't, didn't get caught up in it, their thoughts. And then, Sean, I wanted you to talk about that because that's what Denaris talked about is I didn't even know what they were talking about, right? Right. Denaris said they, they, they were busting me on a paper I wrote about my journey in football. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're accusing me of accusing saying somebody else wrote it for me. He was like, it's my story. So that's – I want to get to the season for sure, but I want people to understand uh, today – yeah. that you guys, I think you got screwed by the NCAA, but I also think the school let a large part of that team down, everybody down, but especially the guys that had to see it. And the thing is, man, like, you know, I sit back and think about it now, like, like you said, the school should have been a little more involved in what was going on and, you know, a little more transparent about what was going on. But, of course – there's no telling what was really going on behind the scenes that we didn't know about. And, you know, we kind of, you know, were the, the, the ones to be out front and to, you know, kind of take that, that heat at the moment until they, I feel like figured out what, what, what was going on or how to explain or, you know, explain to the public. But, you know, you, you will never get that, that back just from my perspective. Uh, Cause like I said, going into the season, man, I thought we were going to, you know, be competing for the national championship. I, I, you know, I wouldn't, they told me I couldn't come to the game for one. Like, it, I was like, there's no way I'm not going to come to this game. So I literally drove from Chapel Hill to the game um, and, and watched the boys play, man. That, and, and that's probably as close to the national championship, like, atmosphere that we could have gotten that year. Because it, it was, in that stadium, just from a fan perspective, I was a fan that day. You know, they had that Chick-fil-A kickoff. I was a fan of that day, man. The, I mean, the stadium was, was rocking just to – I know I'm not stopping, but just to be on the other side and just watch guys come together, even after all that other stuff, you know, it happened, it was it was something special to watch. But so, I digress. And by, and by comparison, so, that, you know, for some context here, um, you know, we, we understood it. Cam Newton was down at Auburn, and Auburn was probably going to be the front runner to play in the national championship game, and that's kind of who we had our eyes set on. Um, we obviously saw Clemson film against Auburn early in the year, and Auburn looked like it was going to be the team that was going to be there out of the SEC. That same year, Cam Newton, is, he got caught up in his, in his issues with his dad and the $130,000 of phantom money and things like that. Um, <laughs> while the NCAA stuff was going on with us, 
Cam was um, – allegations were levied against him in Auburn. He was interviewed, and he was cleared in under 24 hours. Yeah, he was suspended for like 30 minutes. Yeah, and at that point, it was all in under 24. I mean, he, barely, he didn't even – he didn't even miss practice time. And at that point, our investigation, the NCAA investigation into our program, had been going on since, you know, May of the, of the previous spring. Um, so we're talking months and months, the NCAA have been dragging their feet with us and Auburn and SEC school, which, you know, we all have ideas and knowledge of what goes on down in the SEC. He was cleared in under 24 hours and that team went on to actually to win the national championship. So there was some bitterness there, right? You want to talk about bitterness and finger pointing. There was some bitterness there, but I don't think there was any internally, at least not from me. So I got a question for you guys and specifically, I want to throw this to, to Tony and John and Zach a little bit too, because Zach, you had a really prominent role in that game. At what point did you guys realize going into the LSU game that, okay, I'm going to get to carry a little larger burden here because of, you know, depleted minutes and, and our rosters being just cut out from under us. But at what point did you guys look around and feel like you were galvanized with the rest of your teammates? When did you realize, okay, this is who we've got. Let's roll with these guys. Um, I would have to say, we felt that coming in, coming into that game. You know what I mean? Because here we are expecting to have our brothers alongside of us for one of the biggest games of the season. And boom, all of a sudden this bomb is dropped. So um, I think that it had a big impact on us, but it wasn't big enough to where we couldn't rally around each other. And continue on that purpose what we initially felt like Sean was saying Mike was saying we had our eyes set big that year so granted yeah we took a hit but we couldn't sidestep what the team's goal was for that year when did you feel like you guys were you know when did you again you were the baby at the time when did you feel like okay this is who we've got let's let, let's go um I'm with Tony. Uh, with coming into the game, we had the mindset, but I'd ultimately say <clears throat> I'd had a, a series of bad plays. Uh, there was one play, I'm a right-handed center. I put my left hand on the ball and snap it uh, when <laughs> TJ's not ready for the ball. I did that like <laughs> two or three times, and I misidentified defenses and all that stuff to the point where Coach Sam Pittman has to bench me. And this is before the half. I'm on the sideline pouring tears crying because I'm just so upset I let the team down on this national stage. Um, but then when we came back in after the half and I saw we still had an opportunity. And then ultimately when Coach Pittman put me back in the game and the old lineman beside me didn't blink an eye, TJ didn't say, oh, no, you know, nobody's doubting me. And we were able to make some huge plays. And I think ultimately then is when I saw – how good of a group we had and um, how do we kind of galvanize with all the tough situations that we've been through. Zach, was there a specific moment for you where you felt that way, where you felt like, all right, we, we're good with who we got? Yeah, I mean, it, it was really – I can remember getting on the bus to go to the airport the day before the game and, and seeing a few guys standing there on the sideline almost like having their like almost like I don't remember they had their bags waiting to see if they were going to be cleared or not and then I think we Quan somehow yeah. flew in later yeah Quan and, and Bruce both flew down right as the game started so literally at that moment you're stepping on the bus you're like 
as the bus pulls out of the lot, you're you're thinking, wow, well, this this is it, right? We've got to be ready with who we have because that's that's all we have. Um, and so I think I think from that standpoint, we had prepared our minds. Like, look, we we may or may not have these guys. You know, everybody's got to step up. People have to fill those roles. And um, so for me, it was that kind of defining moment of literally stepping on the bus and pulling out and seeing some guys on the bus and some guys off the bus. Um, and to kind of go back to Tommy's question about, and, and you know, I'm I'm going to say this with a grain of salt. You know, Tommy, you asked if any of us felt resentment, I guess, internally, and. I'll be quite honest, I did a little bit. Like, I'm not, you know, if I remember everything correctly, the improper benefits opened up the Pandora's box of the academic thing. And everybody who got caught into the academic thing, I think it was just blown way out of proportion. But was I upset at, at Marvin and Greg and, and Rob for taking improper benefits? Sure. Um, am I today? No. You know, time moves on. We all, we move past it, right? But I, I'm not going to lie and say that I wasn't upset that we had this dream season in, in our eyes and we had it right there for the taking and and uh, and it got kind of taken away from us. But equally, when you're a 19, 20, 21 year old kid and, and somebody hands you an opportunity to better yourself, your family, et cetera, to turn that down is it's hard. It's hard to say. Right. It's I see both sides of the fence. But, um, you know, obviously I didn't let it wasn't to the point like I wasn't going to play hard and play for the team or anything like that. It was just, sure. I was upset. Yeah. That's what I was. It's tough to criticize people doing that. I, I, that's, I can fuss about a lot of things that I see, uh, but that is not one of them. And Mike, we've talked about it before. I, it just, especially when you got Cam Newton situation. Yeah. I'm sure that his pop was offered 180 to go to where was it Mississippi State or something and he went to Auburn for free so I do want to take a quick moment and talk about Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com they're of course our sponsors of this Inside Carolina podcast great friends to Inside Carolina great friends to you if you're a subscriber to Inside Carolina why because they provide you 10% off your orders both online and in person if you offer that Inside Carolina subscription code Great sales consistently, football gear, basketball gear, anything you need Carolina football related, Carolina basketball related, Carolina school of journalism related. Johnny T-shirt always has it. They're always having sales. Sign up for their mailing list. You get one to four emails about sales they're having, current deals. Can't beat it. Can't beat a place to get Carolina gear, especially as folks matriculate back to campus and come back into Chapel Hill. They need your business. Support local, support Johnny T-Shirt, and support johnnytshirt.com. I'm going to take another short break, talk to national folks, let them have their ads. We'll be back after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by host Joey Powell. We've got the 2010 North Carolina football team, some offense members with us on this Inside Carolina, the 40 Club podcast. Anyway, let, let's move on. So who wants to chime in? And, and I want to move past LSU game at some point, but who wants to chime in and tell me what the locker room was like at halftime? Because I, I can tell you from a fan's standpoint, and Sean, you were in the stands, uh, there was a lot of like, what in the hell just happened? Because I think it was what, six minutes in the second quarter, it went from Carolina was up, y'all were up, 10-7 maybe to down 30-10. to 10. There was a six-minute blitz in the second quarter where uh, LSU essentially had three uh, big plays, you know, just explosive plays, uh, kick return, punt return, and then a, a big end around where they scored three touchdowns in a man of a six minutes. So, yeah, to Tommy's point, what was that like at halftime, guys? I'll, I'll tell you. I'll, I'll, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, sorry. So, one of Butch's things was to us, which – the little bit of coaching I did after college um, and, and, and watching football, uh, analyzing it still to this day with, with IC, um, he's 100% accurate about this, is if you win two out of three phases, so if you win special teams, you run a kickback, you block a kick, um, or you win offense, you win defense, you win two out of those three phases, you have an over 80% chance of winning the football game. What we saw at halftime was Patrick Peterson had already run one or two kicks back, um, one, for, one definitely for a touchdown. Um, and then we'd, we'd had a couple mishaps on defense be- just because of an extremely young secondary <laughs> we got burned. Um, so what we saw was we had control of the game, or at least it was when, within shooting distance from most of the first half, and then we let two of those three phases go right towards the, right towards the, the end of, of the first half. And Butch came in and he harped on that. You know, what do we talk about? If you win, if you win two out of three phases, you're probably going to win the game. Well, now we've got to go back out in the second half we got to win two out of three or three out of three phases in the second half, which we, you know, we did. And it came up just a little bit short at the very end, which everybody knows. Um, so when he put it in those terms, for me, I, I can't speak for other people, but for me, there was no real panic because I understood, well, that was LSU's shot. And now if we go out and we execute the same formula and the same game plan that they just did, we have the same breaks that they got, this is going to be a very close game at the end. This, this isn't how this game is going to end. It's not going to end with – a 20 or 30 point deficit for us. So that's, that's how I felt about it at halftime. There was no real panic. Um, and I, I mean, other guys can speak to how they felt. I mean, obviously you felt like you got kicked in the gut, but when you looked at it logically, um, you, you know, you saw that what the coaches were telling you in terms of football philosophy and how the metrics work out, that it was playing out that way. And all we had to do was just reverse course and do the same thing they just did. And everything would, would, would come out in the end, which it, 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 it was a fairly even game at the very end. Zach, I got to ask, and I'll tell you this. We talked to TJ about the end, and TJ owned it and said it was the plays at the end were on him. He said he wanted that next to last throwback, like verbatim. Tommy's right. But I know, but he also said, and Matt Merletti talked about it too, and said how you felt about it at the end of that ball game. Can you describe those, those moments? I, I hate to make you relive it, um, but, I, but I think I, to hear TJ and hear Matt talk about it, I'd love to have your perspective. Sure. I mean, I, I remember the post-game interview like it was yesterday. I, and I, I completely just stated, look, I dropped both passes, and I did. If you clearly watch the film, 
both passes hit my hands. They were catchable balls. The second to last one in kind of the back corner of the end zone, sure, I would have loved it for TJ to put a little air under it and thrown it two foot in front of me, you know, instead of back shouldered. And I know he would have too. And then the last play, you could argue, oh, he grabbed my arm, P.I., but no ref. And I'm happy the refs didn't call it because I hate when refs take over a game like that. So all that to say there were two catchable balls and I just didn't catch them. Right. Um, so that's just kind of how it is. And, and you always wish you had those back, but that's, that's why you play the games. So. Yeah, TJ definitely. But TJ said, I kind of short armed that first one, the first of the last two. And if you look, he's got a defensive lineman coming up where he can't let it go. Normally he kind of comes here and throws a little bit behind you. But it is, it's fascinating to watch, see it plays out. I can tell you that it was pass interference at the end, and, and you got to call that. I mean, it, it was. by them not calling it, I think they played a bigger role in the game than they would have if they just owned the flag. So I got, I got something I want to – I'm going to try to take us back to a to, – take us to a little happier time. Um, Sean, I'm, I'm going I'm to go around and get each one of you guys to give me one of these. Sean, give me one play that you remember was – hands down one of your favorites of the season and then one you wish you had back hmm. i would say one of my favorites was the last game of the season music city bowl <laughs> <laughs> uh I, I guess i got two favorites one was when tj spiked the ball at the end uh, yeah. if you want to call that a play <laughs> And, and then, it changed the rule book for him because of that. <laughs> and I guess uh, – I don't know which one I feel like I would have took back, though. I don't know. That's all right. We'll accept Ooh. a no regrets answer. That's fine. Yeah, I can't, I can't really remember. <laughs> Tony, what about you? Is there is there one that you remember that really stands out to you or uh, uh, is there one you want back to? Um, the one that stands out – I would have to say um, when we beat Florida State, I caught, a, I caught a flat route as a fullback, caught a flat route out into the flat. We were about maybe, I'd say, 10 yards out, um, and that put us ahead, Florida State, and they missed the field goal. Mm -hmm. um, so I would have to say that was one that I would take. One that I would regret would be, I believe I fumbled in the LSU game. Mm. And I was known as to be a jumper over the pile once we get down low. Um, <laughs> so Your other running backs over here laughing at you. You hear him, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, they love the air, though. There was actually two. There was one at Virginia Tech where they obviously saw me on film. I was a jumper. Um, and we were on the goal line in their end zone, and I, and I took a leap. And on my way down, I could see the cornerback looking up at me. <laughs> and he put his helmet on my elbow to the point to where I couldn't hold the ball for maybe two or three weeks after in practice <laughs> just because he hit my funny bone. And I fumbled that. So I would have to say those might be two that I take back because it could have been a game changer at LSU. You never know. So. Now that you mentioned fumbles, bro, and I, and I guess that's, the, that's the, the mental aspect of the game where you try to forget all the bad. Yeah, you try to, you try it to get out. that. <laughs> yeah. So in the uh, – in the Mighty Key Car Care Bowl in 08, when I got folded up 
and I let the ball go. <laughs> you, like, hey, we thought it. you was hurt at that point. This Bruh. is the way you hold it up. But I, I wish I would have let that one go. That 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 was a turning point in the game as well. That's what I wish I could have back. <laughs> that was a hell of a football game. But yeah, you were just you like, here, take it, take it. <laughs> I, I thought my whole my life my eyes. My whole career was a goal. <laughs> I appreciate you guys being vulnerable with us. Coop, give me give me one from uh, you know, I now, Ingersoll's going to say that he never made any mistakes, so there would not be any that he would want back. So, I, I'm going I'm to ask you, Coop, is there any as an offensive lineman that maybe you there's, were like, okay. There's I, one specific high ankle sprain that Coop still blames me for to this day. Oh. <laughs> Man. Dear God. Who are we playing? The Citadel? Yeah, we were, playing, we were playing the Citadel, and I watched that dude down and threw him into your leg. No, you didn't. He beat you on the inside of you tripped. Him. I washed him and down. He fell on my ankle. After I, he beat I, me inside, I then washed him down. There's three sides to the story, y'all. This is what we want. This is this is why you were all here at one time. Thank you. I'm gonna Please call continue. I'm calling Carolina to get some film on that play. I was about to say oh, yeah. pull, the, pull the film up, man. Yeah. Please, yeah. But um I well I'll say the on the positive, I'd say the play that I remember the most is when we beat Clemson, and uh, I remember – I don't remember what play it was. Uh, it was some inside zone, and uh, Carl, big Carl just comes down, chips my guy, climbs to a linebacker, and Johnny White takes it probably 35 yards into the end zone against Clemson for a touchdown. And uh, that was the score that sealed the game for us. And I think it was in 2010, we are playing NC State, and I was supposed to pop on a, on pass protection. Uh, I had a walked up linebacker. My guy didn't come, and I was supposed to get out to the outside to protect, protect TJ's backside, and I did. And, and we end up losing the game. And I think it's a sack, maybe a sack fumble, and that one still haunts me to this day. I remember crying about that one too. <laughs> <laughs> let me, uh, Coop. Let me let me follow up from early. Who whose decision was it to put you at center at the LSU game? Just to back up briefly. Uh, it was Coach Pittman. Uh, Coach Pittman, he just – he had high hopes for me. Uh, and uh, he just thought that we could really use my athleticism at center. I was about to say, but uh, Coop just a pure athlete, man. So, yeah. they didn't know exactly what mm-hmm. I was going to say, my, my, yeah. favorite, my favorite Coop memory is, I believe – I want to say it's a geo run – it had and you to run, be a pull. You're running side, stride for stride with Geo downside. Oh, that might have been big. Yeah. <laughs> I think that got you some. That got you some cash there. That, that was a that was a money making play. I remember it. that's that's one of my memories of you, Coop. Because I I feel like you pulled on every play because I feel like you were always out in front road grading somebody. You know, where at least when you didn't have guys washing his man into you, I, I don't I don't know how that works. But, um. Zach, give me give me one that you know we already we already threw you into the depths and made you relive those last two plays against LSU. But give us one of your highlights, man. I feel like you had a lot. You and TJ had a great rapport. Give me one of you know one that you were one that you were really stuck on that that sticks with you. Yeah, you know, I'll be honest. I, I'm I maybe I'm sick in the mind, but like all I think about are the bad plays. So <laughs> I can tell you every detail about those last two LSU passes before I can tell you any other catch. And then the flip side of that is. I'll be honest, I can I can rag on myself. Like 
all I did was just catch the ball and like fall forward pretty much. Like I didn't have any <laughs> special moves like juke. You know, I'm not over here with the Xbox controller doing spins and stuff. I can remember. I think we we're playing Virginia, um, and I hurt my leg later in the game. But I I sprung wide open down a seam route. TJ threw it to me. I think it was like a 54 yard pass, and literally. I was like 10 yards in front of the next guy and they had a safety like on the other side of the field. All I got to do is just make him miss in space. And I just run right into him and he tackles <laughs> me. So, I mean, literally could have probably ran it 70 yards for a touchdown. If I can just do any semblance of juke moves, but uh, you know, you got to go with what you got. So hey. did you, did you have a, a, a deal with TJ and you say, TJ, your second reads me, just throw it to me every time. Because he looked, he literally looked for you, and hey, every quarterback has to have it. But safety you were blanket. always that guy. Yeah. The, well, the I think it was just blanket. you know again I I I thought I prided myself on route running, and then you know if I was kind of just open, I'd just sit there. And and luckily enough, TJ would kind of you know defenders would go to our other playmakers and uh, or speedier guys, and I'd just be kind of standing there, and he'd throw it to me, and I'd catch it and turn around and fall forward, and here we go, first down again. So. All right, All right, Mike. I want to, Mike. You've you already heard. Them, you've, you didn't tell them about the, the Zappio Noto uh, no celebration rules. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yes, please. Let's <laughs> elaborate on this now. Everybody knows that. I mean, okay. So I'm, I'm sure people have put all two and two together, but like literally every every injury I sustained at Carolina effectively like either was scoring or had scored. Um, so like Georgia Tech, my was that my junior year? I'm diving for the end zone. I break my fibula. Mm, UConn, I, 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 catch, I catch the game. I don't know if game tying. That was a weird game. But, you know, I'm jumping up to celebrate, and a guy still has me wrapped up, and I step on his foot and dislocate my ankle. And then the Virginia game, I scored a touchdown, and it was the next drive. I catch a ball. I'm getting tackled from behind, and a guy hits me up high the other way, and I, I – break my ankle effectively so literally play, like it was the first uh, yeah, probably was. That yeah. yeah yeah so I, i'm me and the end zone we're not friends <laughs> <laughs> which which is probably why i would just catch the ball and turn around and fall forward <laughs> play with what god dealt you right all right well there, we'll let let ingersoll talk I, I know he hasn't spoken in a while let's let mike talk about his <laughs> his favorite play or, or his uh, yeah his <laughs> go ahead mike I mean, my, my, one of my favorite plays from that year that, I, I mean, not, has nothing to do with my involvement in it, but it's when Dwight Jones – was it, it might have been the first play of the game against UVA. We are at UVA, um, and Dwight Jones caught a 80-something yard touchdown, and we went up. In, he was I mean, butt-naked too, yeah. I mean, as soon as the game starts, right? And we hadn't won at Virginia since the 80s. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been so close several times. Um, I remember 07 – you know, we, we – or uh, 08, we should have beat them there. Um, 06 was the Thursday night game. Uh, I believe Jamil Sewell was the quarterback back then, and that's – we got the doors blown off of us on national TV. Um, so, the, the 2010 game to beat Virginia at Virginia was, was sweet. I mean, there was a lot of firsts that year. First game we won it uh, at Florida State ever, obviously. And then that win at UVA kind of got that monkey off our back for several years after that. Um, I mean, one of my, my one of my personal favorite plays that I was involved in was uh, we were playing Florida State, and um, we were about midfield, and I got hit with a bull rush, and that was always my. I mean, you're you're welcome, Coop. 
Um, but the bull, the bull rush was, was the bane of my I could do a lot of things well. I couldn't sit down on a bull rush. Um, and I got bulled, but this is the one time in my whole career that I managed to reset my hands and reset my hips and get my, and get my hips down. And I fought the dude off and then drove him back out of the pocket. And TJ, TJ popped one. I think it might have been to Dwight for about 35 or 40 yards. Um, and I think it was third and long on that, on, that, on that play. We had to have that first down. Um, and I, I felt like, you know, I, I just didn't screw up the play. That's all I was happy about was that if that play was going to get screwed up, it was going to be my fault. And I managed to not screw that play up. That's so um, appropriate because you've – you you essentially you just became a father, which means your number one goal for the next year is don't screw up, but and year, and you also you're going to get a lot of chance to reset your hands as you're changing diapers. So I'm, I, that's a great segue to to your new phase in life. Yeah. Tommy, go ahead, man. That is uh my your trip. I want to say you know who was the biggest asshole y'all face, but Mike covers that weekly when we talk about. <laughs> let, let's talk about that Florida State game just briefly, Sean. Uh, you go down to Florida State and and beat them down there. Mm -hmm. Does it make up? Does that make up at all? And this is for all of you. Does that sort of make up for the LSU issue? I know you didn't play against LSU, but does it make up? Does it wash that taste out a little bit? Shoot, I barely played against Florida State. So I, I ended up getting hurt that game. I had a – I don't even know. It was on the goal line, and somehow my ankle got twisted, and I had a high ankle sprain that game. But, yeah, it was – it was exhilarating to see, you know, us fight that whole game because we had – I think Johnny got hurt that game too. And then uh, – Elsie, you muted. I can't, can't hear you. But, yeah, I think Johnny got hurt that game too. And then Hunter Fur got in and was, and was carrying the team. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Hunter Fur got in and was doing his thing, man. So, it, it was another next man up type of game. That was, you know, yeah. the of, of – 2010 and then we kicked the, the field goal to win in the end man it was it was it was a good good feeling especially to go down there and play and you know when, when you know they play big ball and we know you know I think j just us going in there gave us another you know push forward to say you know we can we can do this and you know we were still sticking together after all the the, the craziness how did how did let me ask this question it's a bad question how did this team lose to NC State that year? <clears throat> I mean, I think it was Denars that knocked the ball back in the end zone. Y'all yeah. can, can defer this question to the defensive guys who we're going to talk defense. to in the next one. But Russell I mean, Wilson sold his soul to the devil at that point. I think that hey, – I'm convinced. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. Because there was no way they were supposed to win that game. <laughs> I mean, he threw that in the third row, and it came four, four yard hail mary. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Was that tough to, to not to not be able to get over that NC State hump, Mike? You've talked about it, Zach. Never beat them jokers. Yeah. I, I gotta put up with that all the time. And yeah. If you're in Apex, especially, you definitely hearing that. And I'm, I'm gonna have to piggyback off Sean. I have a very sour taste in my mouth about yeah. NC State because we never managed to beat them. Although I feel like we were always better, mm -hmm. um, talent-wise, coaching-wise, it was just inevitable. But somehow, some way, they always came out on top, and that was—I think—that was the frustrating part for us. And I think that was, and I always say this: I say when we play NC State, we all see red. Like, yep. you can play Duke, 
you know, we hate them too, right? But you play NC State, it's like it's personal. Like it's a street fight. You forget all the coaches, everything. You literally <laughs> trying to kill whoever over there. And I think for me, it's a little a little bit worse because I, I contributed to when was that? I don't even remember. Oh seven. Oh, well, I wasn't gonna mention it. No, I think. Oh eight. Yeah, when I fumbled twice or three times, I don't even remember. I fumbled twenty right times in one game, and you know. It, it, that doesn't sit right with me either. So, you know, for me not to help any of that game towards beating NC State, that was that's a that's a bitter taste in my mouth that I gotta live with. Mike, you enjoy talking about NC State these days, don't you? <laughs> I mean I mean I know that my daughter had something in her diaper that looks about as good as Dave Dillon's recruiting class right wow. now. Wow. So yeah, I mean that brings me some joy. It's just, I mean, I'm, I, I am, I mean, I'm disappointed. Yeah, I mean, all these guys are right. I mean, we live with it. I mean, I, I mean, I got fired up at some team meetings the night before those games. I mean, Elsie was right. We were always more talented. We were, we were always a better team. We were a better coach. We had better game plans. And there was just always something that happened in those games that, I mean, that, that, that something was Russell Wilson. I mean, Russell would just pull plays out of his ass, um, you know, and, and we'd end up losing those games. There'd be some, some random penalties that you can't explain. Um, you know, an Allen Pelk 15-yarder for shoving a guy out of bounds when he got pushed into a bench, um, you know, stuff like that. So, I mean, there's just some things you, you can't control. I mean, that, that NC State game is the, is the one blemish, I feel like. On my time at Carolina, that's the one thing I regret the most because there's not a whole lot I can say on football season during that game, you know, when we're playing State that doesn't get, um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a very easy comeback for any State fan, and I hear it a lot, you know. Yep. So – I got a, I got one I want to throw at you guys, and, and this is something that um, that Hakeem Nix and, and TJ Yates both mentioned something kind of in, in discussions with them. They talked about how really well coached that they felt, specifically from the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Hakeem said that basically when he got to New York, they had the same playbook, just different terminology that that Coach Shoop ran with you guys offensively. I think Coach Shoup is maligned by the by the fan base a lot because uh, UNC was was slow to adapt to the spread offense where everybody else is already doing that. But you know, Sean, I know you had a long career in the league, and a lot of you other guys had a lot of success under a John Shoup offense. Is Coach Shoup misunderstood? Do you think he do you think he's unfairly uh, unfairly remembered by by the fan base? I don't, I don't know. I guess misunderstood is a good description. Uh, um, I like Coach Shoot, but I, I, I think Coach Shoot didn't really see eye to eye a lot of times either, to be honest with you. That's fair. Uh, and, so and, but it, it came from a good place. He's super competitive, like uber competitive. Like, don't let the defense – like, he, he straight up hated the defense. I'm talking about, like – we Our defense. You, you would think you would think we were going against NC State, right? Man, don't let Marvin come in there and do something crazy or Bruce or man, yeah. he, so, so heated. But I think that's that's just his competitive nature. Um, and he was we always used to call him a little mad scientist because he's always he's always draw up these crazy plays and I'm like, bro, wait, where you even come up with this stuff? But I think misunderstood is a is a good. Uh, way to describe him. Um, solid, solid guy, though. Uh, I like him. All right, anybody, Zach, anybody you smiling. Else? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, oh, that was, I, I, oh, that, I, that's his boy. 
<laughs> Here we go. This is no, I, you know, I uh, I really did like Shoop. I'm I'm with Sean. I, I think he was a little bit misunderstood. He's just he's a wiry little dude, right? He's um, you know, his motto was make the same things look different and different things look the same. <laughs> I probably heard I that, that. Yeah, twenty six hundred times, you know, in a few years, and it was beautiful because kind of going back to your point, I forget who said it, Tommy or Joey. Offenses are really all the same, you know. I know Sean's probably played more here than any of us, but a pro style offense is a pro style offense is a pro style offense. Everybody just calls it different things. The X receiver is this and one offense and, and another and, and a different one. So, from an X's and O's standpoint, I think Shoop was quite honestly, I, I, some, I, some, I think he's a genius at it. Like, he, he was really good at play design. Um, I think every fan base is going to bitch about oh, my God, our offensive coordinator on third and four. He, what, we ran a screen? or Every fan base says that about their offensive coordinator. There's no perfect offensive coordinator on this planet. So, from a standpoint of uh, – I personally, I, I thought Shoot did a good job. But also, when you're in it, too, um, you know, playing in a game and, and understanding the play calls is, is different than sitting in the stands and trying to say, like, you know, playing Monday morning quarterback and, and oh, I should have done this, that, or the other. But – yeah. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I like shoot. In in defense of in defense of Shoop's philosophy and Butch's philosophy, um, you know, you look back at those, you know, think back 2006 to 2000, probably 12, 2013. Um, Oregon made the national championship game a few times, and they had that flashy, you know, high octane um, offense, you know, full spread offense. Obviously, they went the year that we thought we were going to go in 2010 and played Auburn. Um, but if you look at the teams that actually won the national championship for all those years, they all ran pro, pro offenses. Yeah. Some variation of a pro-style offense, right? Auburn was slightly different with Cam, but that was still a pro-style offense just like every other SEC offense. Um, so in their defense – They just let him call options. Yeah, you're exactly right. They'd yeah, And he was the fullback in that offense. In, in their defense, pro-style offenses control the ball, and they all had great defenses, and that's exactly how we were built. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Coop, you feel I'll the same way? I'd say about Shoop, um, I really liked him. I think the reason he was so misunderstood is because it's rare to see somebody who's so cerebral but so fiery. Mm. And I think when you bring those two together, I remember I think James Hurst said he might have jumped off sides or something and Shoop dog cussed him and told him for a fact that that play was going to be a guaranteed touchdown and he just ruined it. <laughs> and it's like, we didn't even snap the ball yet. But it was one of those things where you're just five plays ahead of everybody else, but you're also bringing that fiery passion. And, I mean, I loved it because there are times where I could sit down with him when he didn't have to be so excited, so fiery, and you really can learn a lot from him. And uh, I, think, I think that's why I appreciate him because he has so much wisdom to offer. Tony, I muted you again, so unmute. But give me your thoughts on it, because being a fullback in an offense, I guess you like somebody that takes advantage of a fullback. Yeah, um, I would definitely have to say that he was one that was misunderstood because he foresaw a lot of stuff that we weren't even looking at yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Sean said, he was like the mad scientist. He would draw up these plays, and we'd sit in the meeting room, and that's not – that's not, no, no way that's going to work. 
<laughs> and lo and behold, we scored six off of it. So it's like, well, I'm damn, he was right. So um, and that's where the term mad scientist came from. But um, I would also have to piggyback on Sean. Me being at fullback was not something that um, I was happy about. But at the same time, I had to do what was beneficial to the team. Um, and so I took that role on um, and, and tried to take it on wholeheartedly. Therefore, I'm 220 going up against Virginia guys is 265 um, in the hole and got to make room for, for somebody <laughs> like Sean. So it's like, well, <laughs> well, hey, we got to make it, it, it well. But <laughs> you should call, t- <laughs> call him the hammer. <laughs> but um, like, like all the boys have said, he was definitely um, – unorthodox in the way that he thought in the way that he manipulated plays in the way that he saw plays and put players in positions. Um, I think that's what he was all about was putting players in position to make plays. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what he attempted to do with us. And I think he was successful with it. I love the yeah, way I mean, you guys that. With LZ being at fullback, he recognized that LZ had great hands. He's great feet, running back speed, which he was running back in high school. I mean, you, Look at Tony highlights. He was jumping over people in high school. Over the pile in high school. So he, I mean, he, he recognized that, and he, he, like you say, he put people in a position to be successful. So you can't, you can't argue that. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, like like Zach said, I think. I mean, people even ripped on Longo last year when Carolina lost three, what two, three straight, and. Yeah. You got yeah. So yeah, I'll 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 end with this on Shoop. I, I hope everybody would agree. There is I've never been around an offensive coordinator when they're putting together your weekly kind of run throughs and plays you're going to run. He made the most entertaining reels. He'd have he he'd, he'd segment yeah. in a play and yeah. then the next one he'd show you like a clip from an 80s movie that had like some kind of saying in it, and then he'd show you another play and he'd be he talking did. about high and tight hold the ball high and tight, he'd show, like, some dude from the 80s with a flat-top haircut. And he he made things relevant. He made them cool. Like, you really learn – it's going back to Coop's point. Learning football from Shoop, he he knew so much. Um, And that's kind of just the lasting words I'll say on him. Oh, yeah. And, Mike, you mentioned he's he's been going through it health-wise lately. So, uh, get well soon, John Shoop. And um, sir, go ahead. Oh, I thought somebody had a point. Look, let's do this. Let's turn. We could talk all night, and I know you guys have things to do. Um, but let's talk about the Music City Bowl. Uh, LZ, you live out there in Tennessee now. Uh, we talked a little bit off the air. I'm not quite sure how you manage, but I'll start with you on the Music City Bowl. Um, when you play in a football game and they change the rules as a result of your game, you know damn well it was a crazy game. Yeah. And that is what yeah. happened. Uh, just, yeah, so just talk about playing Tennessee in Tennessee in that environment. Um, that game I missed. Um, I was ineligible for that game, ruled ineligible for that uh, game. Um, I'm good but, at asking questions to guys that didn't play. Sorry, Sean, <laughs> earlier. <laughs> um, but like Sean said earlier, um, in the LSU game, I traveled down, drove down um, – and supported my guys, my brothers, my family. Um, and they, to me, if you ask me personally, they showed their ass. They couldn't have made me prouder <laughs> as a person 
being on the field, knowing what they're going through on the field, and then also seeing it from a fan standpoint, it was because I never got to experience that from a fan standpoint. It was, oh, I know that guy. I know him. That's bro right there. And it was like, these guys are making plays. And like, especially Sean, he showed out that game. So it was like amazing to see not only the victory, but how well everybody performed individually, but also collectively as a team. Although Tony, we did lose Deontay that, that, that game. Tony, can you confirm or deny that you actually have to wear a, a hard hat when you go to church now just because of of the hate and the and the anger that you get from the, the ugly orange fans. <laughs> Listen, I used to have to wear a hard hat. Now that I tell them <laughs> I bleed Carolina blue, they respect it. <laughs> so, and the Music City Bowl is one of the first things they bring up. So, yeah. Sean, Sean you want to talk about it? Yeah, you, you out the gate, what, five minutes in? What a long run to score. You had a big day. Yeah, man, that, that game was uh, super emotional for me, man. It was uh, – you know, my first time being able to, uh, I guess, be named a starter in a while, um, you know, because of the up and down, ups and downs of the year, injuries, NCAA, you name it, whatever. You know, that, that year was just a little hectic. And, you know, I, I felt like I wanted to come out and guns blazing. Um, and, you know, just the atmosphere, you you got a 100 million uh, Tennessee fans, and you got one speck of blue in the stadium that they circled on TV <laughs> that I, I went back and watched. And, um, you know, just going into that game, man, it was it was the, it was the, the last game. So you had to like you that's that's what you live for. That's you know your whole four four and a half years in school uh, came down to this this one game, and you know it was it was it was very emotional. Me, uh, super crazy game. It was a way to great way to end a, a college career. Um, you know, to they thought they won, they ran all out on the field, and you know, <laughs> then we came back in overtime and spanked them boys. That was man, that thing was it was good to me. <laughs> yeah, so Zach, I know you were hurt. So, Mike, Coop, and Sean, is there have you ever been a part, all of you really, because you're all still there? Have you ever been a part of a crazier game? The way that game ended. I mean, no. that game, that, that's, no. a, that's another one where, I mean, no, the short answer is no. Um, but we ran out on the field. Cause I, I was, so I was on the field. Coop was on the field, I think. Uh, yeah. you, you were healthy then. Yeah. So Coop was on the field too. And I remember like we got <laughs> – no, that, that, that worked out pretty well. Um, so we, we ran a play. Sean, I think you were the ball carrier. So Sean was down. And then we got up to the ball, and TJ was yelling, spike it, spike it, spike it. And we all got up to the line of scrimmage, and we spiked the ball. And I was watching the clock the whole time, and I knew we still had a second left of time when we spiked the ball. Um, so everybody starts freaking out. The ref calls the game. Tennessee comes running on the field. And I'm standing there like, they're going to have to review this. Like, we're coming back on the field. And I'm thinking, there's no way they're going to screw this up. I mean, this is on, this is on TV. They got video review. We're going to get this right. So, like, at the end of that game, everybody was going nuts. But I'm standing there like, well, when are we going to – when are they going to place the ball and when are we going to kick this field goal? Um, so, I mean, that ended up happening, I mean, the way that it should have happened, but yeah, I mean, it was a wild ending to a, to a, to a pretty wild game. I mean, that, that game was back and forth, especially, you know, later on in the overtimes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was a, that was a crazy intense game and that game was loaded with some NFL players. I mean, you had Luke Stocker, tight end. Um, he was with me and Zach down in Tampa. 
Um, yeah, Malik Jackson was on that team uh, who signed that huge deal with, um, after he left uh, Denver when they won the Super Bowl. He signed with Jacksonville. Um, so he was an all-pro. Um, they had a bunch of guys on that, on that Tennessee team that played in the league, and then obviously we did too. So that was a – I mean, that, that, was a, that was a very well-matched, well-matched game, um, despite the fact that Tennessee was only 6-6 six and six that year. They were a better team than their record said, which is how I felt about us too. As a player – um, playing the game, do you notice uh, when a guy like Tyler Bray is doing all his antics? Oh, that's what I was just about to say. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Talk about it. And what's so crazy is I end up playing with Tyler Bray in Kansas City. <laughs> you reminded him, dude. Rookie, and I reminded him. He was like, oh, yeah, I remember, man. <laughs> so he gave us the throw slash. Was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that was. That was that was a crazy game. Coop, Coop talk about that. <laughs> that uh, there was a meme or a gif or something that showed him throat slashing, and then it flipped over and he's crying his eyes out. Coop, you remember? You, you said you cried a lot. He cried in that one. Oh yeah. Uh, well, first, <laughs> shout out to Casey Barth, my college roommate, fellow <laughs> Wilmingtonian, for uh, giving us the opportunity to go into overtime. Right. As ice in his veins. Um, but yeah, I was just going to say it was amazing how cocky they were and you know it's a game you still have so much time left there are the throat slashes there are little salute celebrations and all this mm -hmm. stuff and I mean I think ultimately that's what got us the victory as you can see how young or at least young-minded their team was and where they had a, they were loaded with talent I think ultimately we were just better coached and had a better mentality about us yeah that's true it's a uh... Mike, I know you noticed that stuff going on, or did yeah, you? I, yeah, I mean, and I, and I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't quiet during games generally, but I mean, that was that was that was a game where there was a lot of a lot of uh, uh, unsavory conversations happening down on the field. Is how we'll, we'll characterize that. Yeah, it's funny. Buck Sanders and Greg Barnes, I believe, were on the sidelines, and when they brought everybody back out to play, Buck describes turning and looking at the Tennessee fan base, and it's just like a hailstorm of bourbon bottles oh yeah. my 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 aunt got hit with a with a spitter so like they, someone hit her with a gatorade bottle and the and the the cap was half off and it turned out to be a spitter and she had <laughs> all over her oh rocky top um all right boys i'm gonna throw one out to you guys and i'd i'd love to hear from each of you uh and, and then we'll go home how do you guys want to be remembered uh from you know this season but also from your careers and tony you were first man in i'll uh i'll ask you first how do you want to be remembered um i want to be remembered as somebody who never backed down i don't care how big you are i don't care where you come from best believe when we meet in the trenches i'm going to attempt to knock you out while doing the same thing to myself and if i don't do that then I didn't succeed. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's just me. Um, so I, I think our class, honestly, as a whole, was a bunch of warriors. From, from all the things that we endured, all the things that we had to overcome, and then you turn around and you look at us four or five years later after we're all out of school um, and everybody's successful, everybody's doing okay. I think that that class was a, the definition of being a warrior. That's awesome. Uh, Zach, what about you? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I, I always try to just 
kind of be be the hardest worker in the room, bring my lunch pail, kind of just the old mule, if you will, just show up for work every day, uh, you know, row the, uh, hoe the row and, and just try to be consistent in my work, right? As, as we kind of laughed about earlier, I don't think I was flashy by any means. I just, I tried to play my part, right? And um, be there when I needed to be there and, and block when I needed to block, et cetera, et cetera. So just uh, hopefully that's how people, people kind of remember me. Sean, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, I guess as the safety that went to running back and showed that he still had skills from high school, I guess. <laughs> and, and Sweet feet. <laughs> um, and just being a part of a, a, a stupid close-knit class that really changed, I think, the culture of Carolina football um, and, you know, started to see a change from, from that. So, yeah. This is probably a what if for another day, but imagine if you would have stayed at safety and Deontay would have stayed at receiver. Uh, that I probably wouldn't be talking to you right now. <laughs> I probably would have uh, went back to Tarboro for depression or <laughs> or or uh, transfer somewhere. Oh, that's rough. And you, and you got those jerseys back there to prove how. Yep. It exactly. Yep. That's the hey, yeah. That's the Muta City one right there. See the patch. How'd you nice. get the pants? That's not fair. <laughs> I them off after the game and put them in my bag. <laughs> he said, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I told Sean when he logged on earlier tonight, he's the first guy that I've seen in his man cave that he actually had, like, game pants, like the yeah. actual real britches. This is, the only, this is the only frame I have with the pants in them, though. The rest of them uh, over there. Oh, uh, I stole a whole uniform. Sean, check this out. I got my gloves. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just the one up himself. But what I don't have is a helmet. If there's a jock strap in that frame, Ingersoll, we're shutting this down. Oh, that's nice, bro. <laughs> six, six. Oh, God. he got the whole like wide body. Where's your belt? <laughs> Size small. 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 He shaped just like that. <laughs> I wasn't going to fight Ingersoll. Coop, what about you, man? How do you, how do you want to be remembered? Um, I'd say amongst the former players, I want to be remembered as a good teammate and a hard worker. Um, because I do think I always tell guys when there's such a, in a rush to go pro and all this stuff, I tell them enjoy this time because honestly, this is ultimately going to probably be some of the best times of your life. Not to say having kids or graduating, all those other things won't be momentous occasions. But I just look back on it and just think about the bonds and the friendships after games. No, we go to La Rez or we go hang out on Franklin <laughs> or whatever. The <laughs> <laughs> You know, and you pass by somebody. What's up, Crib? Like it's just what these up, Crib? built in. It's just these built-in times of brotherhood that you don't get later on in life. Right. So I just want to be remembered as a great teammate that was hardworking and. Uh, I guess athletic. I think that that's how. I think that's what the dancing bear. <laughs> What'd you say? The dancing bear. That's right. <laughs> All right. So hold on, Sean. What if if Coop was a dancing bear? What was what was Mike? Dancing polar bear. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow. 
yeah, that's that's got to be monogrammed on on something on uh, uh, on your desk or on the back of your your vehicle or something, Mike. Mike, how do you want to be remembered other than the dancing polar bear? I want to be remembered as the guy who whipped Sean's ass in uh, in Monday Night Football in 2006 after after one of Bunning's practices freshman year. Oh, oh I remember those nights. You, hey, look, what's so crazy, man? Is oh. No, Sean, don't tell him what really happened. Just tell him. My version is I whipped your ass, and that's oh. all. So, yeah, good story here, guys. So, Monday Night Football was basically for all the people that weren't playing the red shirt guys and some of the some of the other guys, right? So, we doing this scrimmage at the end of the in the practice, and I'm still at safety at this point. So, you know, Mike, talk. I'm playing safety. So, Mike was known for talking, and something happened. I, I don't forget, Mike. You might have to you got a job. My memory of exactly what happened. All I remember is a fight broke out. I come in, I'm jabbing Mike under the pile like this. <laughs> <laughs> and we clear out. And my dad, my dad was actually there that night <laughs> at practice. And he talks about that all the time, man. <laughs> but, but we were we were still close after that. And that's the thing, like we we literally like brothers, man. Like we we were so close and still are to this day. Um just you know, going through adversity together and still ending up great friends and you know, still where we are right now. So let, let me ask you, I know the basketball team has a, a WhatsApp or whatever, where all the old guys stay in on a chat, a group chat. Does, do you guys do that either as a 2010 class or as a former football guys? Yeah, we got a, yeah, we got a huge group chat. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. I'm glad you mentioned that, that the culture that is forming a little better now wasn't like that for football and that's and we always talk right. about that when we were there we're like why why we don't see guys from the nfl coming back and you know them right. welcoming you know those guys back and you know really you know creating this this culture like you see the miamis you see ray lewis and coming back all those guys you know and we didn't really have that um in, in carolina football and that's this one thing i i really hated you know when i left Mm-hmm. Uh, or even when I was there, you didn't see those guys coming back. Um, and not because they didn't want to, but you just, we just didn't have that culture. So, you know, that's, uh, that's something that Mac is actually bringing back. He loves for people to come around. Um, I mean, I've sat down and talked with Mac. I've been there a couple of times and, and he's always anytime come by and it's, and he means it. Yeah. I was going to ask and, and wrap on that is to just to, get y'all's thoughts on what he's doing at Carolina. I mean, because whether you live in Tennessee or Arkansas or out in Arizona, I mean, you're still Carolina football guys. I know last season they had, you know, started off good, had some ups and downs. But do you guys feel the same way that the fan base seems to feel about football as former players looking at it, Anthony? Um, the same, if not more. Because with that being, you know, what I mean that that initial bonding, um, everybody everybody knows that it takes some time for your coaches, your players, and your other players to build a chemistry, um, and for you to kind of go out there and it come become second nature to you. I think that um, if if they play this year or even next year, they're going to be a, a big force to be reckoned with. Um, I think that he's the perfect fit for for the culture that they have there now. 
Mm-hmm. Zach, do you agree? Oh, sure. And, um, you know, I, I probably have a little bit of a unique perspective on this. Um, coming out of high school, I was committed to Mac when he was at Texas. And obviously I committed there for a reason. I, I, I thought Mac was a, a great coach. He had done great things. They just won a national championship. And I tell you this. What's that? Don't tell him how much he offered you. Don't tell him. Oh. <laughs> Lord, don't make me edit. I will start I <laughs> But um, from – I say this from a recruiting perspective, there is not a better person on this planet at, at getting in touch with people. Um, a couple 30 second stories. So um, he would write my mother a card on mother's day when I was in high school, you know, he, he would, he would do little gestures like that. And then even when I did not go to care, uh, Texas, I decommitted came to Arkansas or Carolina with Butch. When I got hurt my sophomore, junior, and senior seasons, um, Mac either wrote me a letter and sent it to the UNC football office my sophomore and junior year, and my senior year when I got hurt against UVA, he called me. I was sitting in the locker room one day. This is four or five years after I've talked with him. Calls me. I get this Austin, Texas number. I answer it. It's him and the old tight ends coach at, at Texas. And they just want to say, look, Zach, you know, sorry to hear about your injury. Best of luck, you know, in your future in the NFL, et cetera, et cetera. So from a uh, just a personable standpoint, I'd I'd still to this day probably run through a brick wall for him. I mean, that's how much I think of the guy. Uh, Sean and Coop, y'all got the same opinions? Not the personal touch that Zach has because of the recruitment deal, but seeing how this team's maybe turned the corner and he's got the culture changing. Or at least from a North Carolina perspective, I mean, both of you guys were Carolina, yeah. you know, were Carolina born and bred guys. You, know, you grew up and played football in the state. What? How do y'all feel about that? You go ahead, cool. All right. Um, I'll just say that's one thing that um, I really appreciate is the pride that he's taking and tapping all the resources of North Carolina. Um, I've heard some like high school coaches from places that I've never even heard of. That's probably this big. And they said that Mac Brown has been there and visited talking to his guys. And I think that goes a long way. And there's that pride you take in running the state, call yourselves a state champion, beat the North Carolina teams and getting the best prospects out of North Carolina. And um, I think he's doing a great job of that. And have you guys seen the, the facility now? Mm-hmm. That place is ridiculous. <laughs> like, yeah. It's beautiful, and I mean, I think for him to be an older coach, he really does have his finger on the pulse of what it takes to bring in great players and to really establish a top-tier program. I went to the bowl game, and the way they put that beating on Temple, I hope and pray that that's just a small taste of what we'll have in the future to come. Yeah. Nice. Sean? Yeah, I second that, man. I think, you know, he he has – I don't know, man – I, I think he's the Snoop Dogg of coaching. Like, he's timeless. Like, <laughs> yeah. He knows how to relate to the time. Like, I mean, I don't know whether he has, like, a personal assistant tell, okay, this is what we need to do to get, you know, into <laughs> these guys. But he's dancing after the games with the guys. Like, you know how much, like, that makes you as a player respect the coach? With just you being involved like that with the guys. And, I mean, you look at, look at Roy. Look at his guys. You know, he's doing the same thing. And I, and I think, you know, both of them are genuine. And everything that Mac has, 
you know, you know, done. I think it's super genuine from the from the perspective of me going in, um, you know, just being around the program. It was like, yeah, man, I know who you are, you know, and it's not just you tell everybody to come. I want everybody to come. Like he and he really means that. And um him having former guys like Dre Bly, I mean Corey Holiday's been there for years, Rick Steinbacher, um all those guys, man. I mean, I, I think that him just wanting a Carolina culture is his number one priority. And like Coop said, I mean, he it reminds me of what Bush did when he first yeah. came in. Like we had the same facilities for I don't know how long. As soon as Butch came in, he's adding floors to the uh, football center, uh, <laughs> changing the locker room, um, changing our food and all these things. And uniforms that he's vested. He's not just there for the show. He's vested in taking care of his players. He's vested in creating a culture and a legacy. Um, I mean, that he's he's already had the name here. I mean, every, everybody, you got everybody watching Carolina football now. They ask me, like, how you feel about Mac? Yeah. Like, everybody. Not even Carolina fans. So that, that speaks volumes about the person that he is. I and, think and, that uh, I think that the – He's the Snoop Dogg of, of coaches, I think, might be our, our audio clip that, that we use to, to promote this show. And I, I, I mean, look, that's that, I think that's a – you guys all put, your, put a good spin on that, but I think that's a great way to go home. Um, Tommy, you got anything? No, I was going to say, and I was going to see if Mike could keep it into 30 seconds or less that's um, if I ask him the question. That's the wrong <laughs> one. Love you, Mike. Uh, but, no, I – that's what I wanted to hear from you guys, because dealing with Mac, even as a member of the press, um, of course, been in Carolina, watching Carolina football forever, but even as a member, he's genuine. And to hear you guys talk about it. And you can tell when people are fake. I mean, it's pretty easy to tell, but you can also tell when people are truly genuine. And, Mike, I think that you agree with me there is that Mac and Roy, to a certain extent, I don't think Roy's on Mac's level, though. As far as that, um, it's just different, man. Oh, I, I refer to some people as different, and I, I think, think there's I, something to be said. I think there's a lot to be said for you know Matt clearly wants the job, and that's that's how it came about. When, as I understand, the oral history of Matt actually getting the job is he he stepped in and said, "I want this job," and no, and let the school know, "I want the job." And there's something to be said for a guy that, that you know wants to be there, and he shows that he wants to be there. And every single thing that he does, and he's a class act. If you watch his initial press conference, talking about Larry Fedora and um, taking care of Larry's family and making, you know, making sure they're always they're, they're welcome back and things like that. He's going to take care of Larry's recruits and Larry's kids. I mean, that spoke to me. That's told me everything I needed to know about Mac Brown. Yeah. But I think there's a lot to be said for a guy who not only who, who, who talks that kind of character, but then shows you the kind of character person he is. And that's, you know, I'm proud to have that guy leading our program right now. And, 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 you know, I thought a lot of Fedora on a personal level, you know, I, I was, I was closer with, with Larry um, than I thought I would be um, on a personal level. I like Larry a lot, but you know, Mac is Mac is Mac. And, and, you know, he, he wanted this job, he's come home and you, you clearly see he has goals in mind and wants to send Carolina out at the end of his career, the way that he had them set up when he went to Texas in the first place, he wants to finish what he started. Um, but he wants to do it the right way. So I think there's a lot to be said for how Matt carries himself and for wanting to be there. Yep. I remember 
and I'm going to wrap this show, but I remember we were doing a podcast, and I don't know if you were on it, Mike, or not, after that East Carolina game two years ago. And we talked about there's time for a change. You know, you hate to see, but it's, it's run its course. And Buck Sanders and I said, why not Mac Brown? And that was in October, early October, whenever that game was before, because of what you just said, Mike, somebody needs to know Carolina because Carolina's different. You guys will attest to that. Carolina's different from everywhere else. And somebody had to want that job and it to be a job they wanted to stick with. I think Mike Brown's that guy. And it, you, I know think what, you, know what, you know what Zach's stories told me, what I, what I gathered from the stories that Zach just told us? Mac was always watching Carolina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were always they, they always they always occupied some real estate in the back of his mind, and he was always watching Carolina, and yep. and you can see that that emotional commitment and connection to the school, um, which is really where he made his name. Um, you can see that now in the way that he's carrying himself with the program. Indeed, yep. guys, you you all of you guys have been awesome. All of you, you've taken an hour and a half out of your evenings. Um, I don't know how to thank you for joining the podcast, um, but I, Elsie and Sean and Zach, and Mike and Coop, man, the defense, when we talk to the defense tomorrow, they're going to have to live up to a high bar that you guys have set. But I really do appreciate y'all taking the time. And thank you guys for being vulnerable with us too. I mean, you, you guys opened up a lot of, on a lot of topics that you probably either haven't asked or haven't had a chance to speak on before. And that, that goes a long way with our subscribers and our listeners. So I just want to give you a, a special thanks as well. Yeah. Joey's big on Mike being vulnerable. Mike, you need to be more vulnerable. I'm, 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 I'm an open book, guys. I'm an open wound. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to hear the defense talk because I want to hear Bruce talk. I am too. I'm, I'm anxious to see what they're going to have to say. <laughs> so, so give us a heads up. Who, who's going to be the one that talks the most? And I guess Bruce talks the least. Quan and uh, Cersei. Cersei yeah. and Quan talk the most. Cersei was wide open when we talked to him before. He, always he, he was very yeah, vulnerable. He's going to be wide open again. <laughs> He's always but, wide open. Well, that'll be a fun show to do, uh, certainly. I'll throw this up on YouTube at some point, but let me wrap this portion. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk after I stop recording. Uh, but you've been listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Take a chance to rate us here on YouTube, rate us on iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we'll be back with the defense at some point. Joey Powell, I'm Tommy Ashley, Anthony Elzia, Sean Drone, Zach Pianato, Mike Ingersoll, Jonathan Cooper. What a group. 2010 family reunion we'll be back next time thanks for listening to another podcast from insidecarolina.com brought to you by johnnytshirt.com where to go for your next tar heel gear purchase from producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band u2 kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on paramount plus go to paramount plus to try it free terms apply